Welcome to The Edge and Beyond, a podcast by Intel, where we're making sense of use cases across industries such as retail, banking, hospitality, and education. You're going to hear tech considerations, best practices, how-tos, and recommendations. It's all here on To The Edge and Beyond. Hello and welcome to The Edge and Beyond, the series that makes sense of use cases across industries brought to you by the Intel Internet of Things group. In this episode, we're going to explore frictionless retail and the solutions that are powering it, as well as trending use cases and the innovation enabled by Intel's Internet of Things group. I'm your host today, Tyler Kern, and I'm thrilled to be joined by our two subject matter experts. First, we have Christy Rice. She's the Director of Business Development for Retail for Intel's Internet of Things group. Christy, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Absolutely. We are thrilled to have you on the podcast today, Christy. And we also have Samir Sandasara. He is the platform architect for retail for Intel's Internet of Things group. Samir, thank you for being here. Absolutely. Glad to be here. Well, I'm thrilled to have both of you on the podcast today. And, you know, frictionless retail is something that we've heard a lot about. Uh, you see a lot of noise about it in, uh, you know, in different industry outlets, things along those lines. And the term frictionless is really used a lot when it comes to retail. But I think it's worth starting off our conversation today by defining exactly what frictionless means to you. So, Christy, let me pose that question to you. Uh, what exactly does frictionless mean? Well, it's a great question, Tyler, and it does mean many different things to many different people. Um, you know, the way we really look at it is we look at frictionless being a continuum of, of options, and it can start out with something very simple like a self-service kiosk. That makes things frictionless to some people. Um, Self-checkout systems also are frictionless. And then you can move clear up to an entire frictionless store where you just walk in, you grab, and you go. So all of those are frictionless, and they mean frictionless to different people. So um, when someone asks us for something frictionless, we first step back and we try to dive into, well, what does that really mean for them? And what problems are they trying to solve? Because the problem that you're trying to solve might mean that you need a different type of technology to do it. Um, and, you know, speaking of the technologies, you know, Samir's really been diving into and looking at the technologies that are needed for some of these different frictionless solutions. And so, Samir, maybe you can touch on some of that. Yeah, absolutely. So a lot of the technologies uh, that span frictionless implementations are fairly common. Uh, the high level architecture is going to be similar uh, if you're using a kiosk versus a fully frictionless store. That means very frequently you're using kind of the same building blocks. You're using people recognition and object recognition and scales and um, RFID, potentially even license plates and uh, character recognition. So what really begins to differentiate one implementation on this spectrum from another is really the way the technologies have to be implemented and deployed in a physical setting. So that's kind of why we say that it's a spectrum, uh, not necessarily a good, better, or best model. Um, some small examples could be whether you have to use a web camera, uh, oh, sorry, a USB camera versus a ceiling-mounted IP camera. Right? These are small little differences, but they have ripple effects downstream into the technology uh, in terms of how you process that information. However, the fundamentals of recognizing a person are kind of the same, whether you're seeing that person coming in on a web camera or off of a ceiling mounted camera. 
So again, that's why we say it's a spectrum, but the building blocks can kind of be leveraged across from one use case to the next. So what's interesting to me is that uh, retail establishments obviously view uh, frictionless as something that provides a frictionless experience as something that provides value for the customers. So I- I'm curious from your perspective, what value does frictionless provide um, to consumers, to people that visit retailers? And uh, and why is this such a big topic today uh, when it comes to the customer experience and the customer journey? Great question again. Um, so frictionless people today want self-service options. We want things that are fast, easy, immediate. Um, that is just something that is kind of built into our society these days. This helps in a retail environment with uh, someone who's got a full cart of products for their entire week. Um, If I have a frictionless option of being able to just put everything in my cart and walk out, that saves me time. It also helps if I'm just picking up a couple of items. If I'm picking up a couple of items, I don't want to have to wait in a line, in a queue, in order to be able to check those items out. I want to be able to just walk out. And so it helps for large shopping baskets as well as small shopping baskets. But we can also look at frictionless as helping in a lot of other environments, not in a traditional retail store, So say it's a micro market in a corporate environment where I can, as an employee, go down and grab a snack or grab a drink very quickly and easily, fast in between my meetings. Um, Places like putting a micro market like this next to the check-in counter at a hotel. Today, a lot of hotels have these little micro markets right next to them but I have to wait in line at that check-in counter in order to get my Diet Coke. I can't just go and grab it and walk out, but I have to wait for the five people in front of me to check in and ask all their endless questions about the amenities in the hotel just so that I can get my Diet Coke. And um, that could be a very frictionless situation with the right technology built in. That's a great point, you know, and it plays into that um, that aspect of instant gratification that I think that we're all going for when it comes to retail experiences these days, um, especially in those circumstances like you mentioned. I think that's a that's a great point. So Samir, uh, a moment ago, mentioned some of the different types of frictionless options and kind of uh, broke down some of the nuances, but I'd like to talk about that in a little bit more detail uh, because, as you mentioned, it's a it's a spectrum. It's not necessarily a good, better, best. Uh, type of scenario. So let's talk through some of the different types of frictionless options and uh, and what makes them different. Yeah, absolutely. So if we continue using the same camera example, for example, <laughs> we can um, we can look at some of the challenges that would pop up if you're using a kiosk, for example. The camera is tends to be fairly low and is looking a customer directly in the face. Uh, so you have to deal with challenges like occlusions, a uh, person taking something from a shelf. Uh, you may or may not be able to see the object they're actually taking off of the shelf. And so this starts to drive uh, it, it starts to drive different compute requirements for different usages along this spectrum. Um, the more complex the usage model, let's say a fully frictionless store, the, the, the higher the compute resources you need to be able to do it. However, the fundamentals are still 
the same. So you still have to recognize a person. You still have to recognize the objects. But it's the difference between doing it with one camera with a nice clean line of sight versus, you know, 100 cameras with occluded lines of sight. So that's one challenge. Um, other challenges that'll occur along the spectrum are things like the level of complexity with the integration. If you're dealing with a single system, a single kiosk, a point of sale, you can arguably potentially find a single vendor that can supply all the individual components. But the more complex your system grows, the more you need to find best of breed in a scale vendor and best of breed in an RFID vendor and the best of breed in a computer vision vendor. And then integrating all of those can become a very, it, it can be challenging. Um, so that unique to frictionless, it's, it's fairly consistent across software development. Uh, the more vendors you have trying to deliver a single solution, the more complicated it can become. So that, that can be a very real challenge. It's not a technology challenge. Uh, it's more of a business process and you know business practices challenge. Um, and then, of course, the, uh, the, you know, there's a cost challenge. Uh, this is a very emerging, all of these are very emerging spaces. And so there's the data needed to define how much compute you need today versus how much compute will keep you future-proof is still emerging. And so sizing these systems can be can be a bit of a balancing act. And so that's something that, uh, that you have to work through. You have to carefully deconstruct what you're expecting to happen um, today versus what may be happening tomorrow, and then run a bunch of experiments to try and size that compute properly. So those are kind of the challenges, right? The actual physical environmental challenges the business practice challenges around getting multiple suppliers and software vendors to work together, and then the cost challenges of uh, of how do you size these things appropriately so that you aren't you know overbuying what you need here and under delivering what you need over there. So um, that those are kind of the big ones. There is a substantial other challenge that is um, that is fairly well rooted in modern uh, privacy concerns, and that is. Uh, the establishing of an identity, right? We are talking about shopping. So at some level, you need to be able to identify a person so you can charge that person. Um, how you go about managing that, your customer's identities well enough so that you can bill the correct person, the correct amount, without violating their privacy and tracking them and keeping track of what they're buying. Uh, uh, you know, these are these are careful balancing acts that uh, that are having to be worked through at an industry level. So, Christine Samir, I, I'd like to maybe amend my next question because I was going to ask advantages and disadvantages. And Samir, you kind of spoke to that and laid out uh, the challenges. And I think the next question should maybe be a little bit more complex. And it's if someone were to come up to you and say, Christy, Samir, I would like to, uh, you know, I would like to employ a more frictionless experience for my customers. How do I uh, walk through the decision-making process, understanding the challenges that you just laid out, Samir? And how can I, you know, make the right decision for me based on my current limitations, whether it's budget, whether it's facility, um, those different types of things? How would you encourage someone to think through that process? Yeah, as I said, let me start out with that one. I think I think it the first thing we would ask a customer to do is kind of step back and assess what problem are they really trying to solve. 
Are they trying to solve a challenge of getting people in and out quickly? Are they in an environment where it's easy to identify the, the shopper? Is it an opt-in situation? Is it you know the hotel that we talked about before? Or maybe a university where every uh, student already has that has money tied to it. Those situations make it very much easier to implement this grab and go kind of frictionless store. Um, but if the challenge they're trying to solve is simply, I want people to be able to self check out instead of stand in a queue, then maybe a self checkout system is better for them. So stepping back and understanding the problem and the challenge and the environment can then help them figure out which of the solutions maybe is a better fit for them. Because cost and complexity definitely go up as you move to that fully frictionless store. And once customers start looking at it, they realize that's maybe a step further than they're ready to take just yet. And these other options are ways that they can still meet their needs without taking that big leap immediately. And Samir, I don't know if you probably have a couple of other things you can add to that. Yeah, absolutely. There's, um, I, I, and I think you, 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 your your point about asking the customer about what problem they're trying to solve is spot on. Right? When we work with retailers to try and deploy these solutions to try and define how they want to implement these solutions, uh, very frequently we'll start with mapping out these customer journeys and we'll look at alternative journeys for, let's say for example, where a customer, one version where a customer has opted in and is happy to participate in this process. And another journey of where a customer has not opted in. Um, how would you go about solving these problems? And very often um, the answer is not a, it's going to be specific to the experience a customer wants to drive. Um, and the answer will also be, a symbiotic marriage between the technology and the uh, and the human factors, right, and the labor within the store as well. Meaning, you could come up with a way of tracking a person anonymously and simply having a basket ready for them to check out at a self-help kiosk, right? In which case, you aren't necessarily tracking uh, a specific person um, with their name and identity, but rather it's just person random ID number and their basket is prepared for them when they're going to when they go to the self check self checkout uh, versus somebody who has fully opted in could simply just walk out the store. So there is business process marriage to technology ways um, or I should say by marrying by marrying business process and technology, you can start to address some of these complexities um, in for both uh, that I know I just talked about just uh, identity management, but similar approaches work for managing costs in terms of how you want to roll this out. Do you really go to, can you start at a different point on the spectrum and build this in so you can manage cost and then learn as you go along and size your compute properly and that sort of thing. So it really starts with define, very crisply defining what journey you, the retailer wants to take the customer on. 
I really like that answer, and I, I think that that was really, um, really well put uh, by both of you. And so I, I appreciate that very much. So y- you have both uh, mentioned a couple of different uh, examples of where we might see frictionless stores. Uh, we mentioned hotels, you know, uh, maybe a student center on a university, and, and that sort of thing. Uh, talk me through maybe uh, some more examples, or give us a, maybe a longer list of where you might see a frictionless store and why these particular locations make so much sense. You're right. We've talked about hotels. We've talked about universities. We've talked about corporate offices. Uh, the one place we haven't talked about yet is an actual retail environment like a convenience store. We are starting to see some convenience stores start to implement some pilots around frictionless grab-and-go. And that may be a simple grab-and-go that sets at the pump at the, at the convenience store or it may be an area of the actual store or the entire store itself. These places make sense for frictionless stores today because they're all generally fairly small footprints. They've got limited shoppers at any one point in time. And there's also needs to be this way to identify the shopper and and that Samir just talked about. And in places where I've got my hotel room key, that can easily charge back directly to my room. The university student can easily charge directly to his or her account. And the corporate environment, I can easily have my badge with money attached to it that I, you know, I scan my badge as I go into the environment. So those are places where I believe we're going to see adoption first because they're the easiest. And then eventually we're going to start moving to much larger scale venues at more SKUs, larger venues, more people and more complexities. But I think we're going to trial it out in those small environments first. So we've talked a lot about frictionless and, and what it is and what it looks like and where it makes more sense. Um, but let's talk a little bit more about Intel's role. How does Intel play a role in frictionless solutions? And what Intel technologies would you expect to see in one of these locations? Yeah, obviously, cameras are hugely important um, in these frictionless scenarios that we've been describing, but not for the reason most people think, right? Cameras are a very future-proof technology. They provide an incredible amount of information contained within the visual scene. And even though you may not be able to extract all of it right off the bat, as technology evolves and grows and gets refined, all you need to do is add additional compute onto those streams in order to extract more and more and more information out of it. You don't necessarily need to go back and deploy whole new cameras. Um, So for example, today you could tell, let's say, that something's an apple then tomorrow you could say that it's organic or that it's a Gala apple or a Washington red apple. You could tell that it's in a bag. You can tell that you could read the weight off of the scale as the consumer is placing it onto as they're weighing their produce. So as you look at the scene, you can increase ever increase, you can extract ever increasing amounts of information out of it, which is part of why cameras are so incredibly powerful. of when, when you start looking at this power of visual processing, Intel has quite a few pieces of silicon, of course, that we can bring to bear. Uh, we've got, uh, we have special silicon devoted to neural net processing uh, that can do machine learning. They're dedicated, they're dedicated DSPs just for that. We have FPGAs, we have GPUs, we have CPUs. All of these can be used 
for processing visual information uh, in ways that are optimized for different workloads. Um, beyond that, we even have silicon devoted to smart cameras themselves. So if you wanted to, if for cost reasons or complexity reasons, we decided that it was better to implement the visual processing on the camera itself to recognize, say, this Apple, we can we can help with that. We have silicon that'll fit into cameras and do that neural net processing right there um, and send the data upstream. We also have 3D cameras. Uh, we have an entire sense of uh, entire line of real sense cameras uh, that can, in addition to simple visual data, can add depth data. So you can get depth information about the scene, tell whether products are at the front of the shelf, or if they need to be moved up, and so on and so forth. You can verify that the products that you believe you see are actually the right measurements, uh, that sort of thing. And then, of course, when you start taking all of this information, you still need to be able to stitch it all together. It's not enough to know what you see, when you see, and where you see. Layering on that added context, it's what allows you to look at the scene and also tell if there's other things going on, such as a bottle breaking on the floor and so on and so forth. So general purpose compute is absolutely required to make sense of all this data coming in. And that's, of course, a place that uh, that we've also excelled at for uh, for a very long time. So between all the different pieces of silicon that we have to specifically focus on machine learning and all these advanced technologies, we also have general purpose compute. So we can basically bring to bear just about any piece of technology that we need in order to actually deploy a frictionless workload in a store. So if I'm a retailer and I'm listening to uh, to Samir kind of give the, the answer as far as how Intel plays a role in frictionless solutions, and I'm interested in in learning more and in talking to uh, to Intel about these solutions, how can a retailer partner with you for frictionless retail? We would expect that a retailer would would connect with us. Uh, we can you can connect with us over LinkedIn, either Samir or I, and would want to have that discussion around what problem they're trying to solve, and then start looking at how we can connect them with the right solution providers that can provide the different pieces of that solution, because Intel. We sell processors. We're not selling directly these solutions at all, but we partner with solution providers who are. And um, we can help a retailer find the right partners to connect with much faster than if they're going out and trying to vet all of these partners on their own. We've done a lot of work to work with the partners and help them optimize their solutions to run best. And then we can work with the retailer to make those connections. So what makes now a good time to begin considering frictionless solutions, right? Is it the emergence of certain technologies? Is it the direction that the that the marketplace is going and that consumers are going? Um, it, or is it a confluence of all of these various things? What makes now the right moment to begin considering frictionless solutions? Tyler, it's absolutely a confluence of all those things that you just said. Um, we have noticed that the pandemic has increased interest in things frictionless, things uh, self-help so that there is less contact between people. So anything frictionless in that whole continuum, interest has increased over, over the pandemic. But we're also finding that people don't want to wait. And so just the society in 
in and of itself is creating this need for frictionless. People want to be able to get what they want, when they want it, how they want it, and, and get it done. And then the other part of what you just said, the time is right now because the technology has improved to a point where you can do a lot of these things very cost effectively. We've worked with partners already to take fairly expensive solutions that they started out with and help them make it much more scalable, much more cost effective by taking advantage of things within the Intel processors that they maybe didn't even realize were there. And so then they can start doing inferencing at the edge using things like Intel's OpenVINO in order to be able to create a very cost effective solution. So all of those things are really kind of coming together to make this kind of the moment in time to get started on on frictionless. Well, Samir and Christy, you have both uh, provided so much insight, and I've really enjoyed getting to talk to you a little bit more about frictionless retail today, and uh, I feel like I've learned a lot. But before we sign off today, I want to turn it over to both of you uh, to maybe give us a, a final thought, uh, a summary statement, or anything that you feel like we need to talk about uh, that we haven't touched on yet when it comes to frictionless retail. So Christy, let me turn it over to you first, uh, if you have anything uh, to summarize the benefits of frictionless or uh, anything else you'd like to mention in that area. Absolutely. Thanks again, Tyler, for having us here. Intel is really here to help. Like I mentioned before, we work with partners. We work with system integrators and uh, software providers, hardware providers to pull all of these capabilities together to create really wonderful solutions that help retailers meet the needs and and solve their challenges. And so, you know, we'd love to have both, you know, system integrators, ISVs, hardware providers connect with us as well as retailers, because uh, we would love to be able to work with you in order to help you create these solutions and um, take away key barriers to adoption and, you know, get these products out there. So connect with us on LinkedIn and, you know, would, would love to hear from you. Excellent. Christy Rice and Samir Sandasara, thank you so much for being with us today here on The Edge and Beyond, uh, The Edge of Beyond from Intel's Internet of Things group. Thank you both so much. Yeah, thanks for having us. Thanks a lot, Tyler. We appreciate it. Absolutely. And I want to thank our audience for tuning in to uh, The Edge and Beyond, the series that makes sense of use cases across industries brought to you by the Intel IoT Group. Thank you once again for listening. Make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify to stay up to date with the latest in thought leadership from Intel. We'll be back soon with more episodes of the podcast. But until then, I've been your host today, Tyler Kern. Thanks for listening.